at Four River Smokehouse for a limited time. Take $5 off orders of $25 or more when ordering in-store or by phone when you mention Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Certainly not a dull moment this week. Big game week. Florida, Alabama. Gators Breakdown is ready to go for it. Here we are. Game week. The biggest game of the year for the Gators at home in the Swamp. 3.30 on Saturday. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Getting you ready for this matchup with a big preview here of the Alabama Crimson Tide. To help me break it all down, you may remember him from last year's SEC Championship game, but bringing on Kevin Hagan once again to give us a big preview of this Nick Saban-led number one team in the nation as they travel down to Gainesville to take on the Gators in what is certainly a big game. And, Kevin, man, I'll bring you in here. We finally get it. Look, Kevin, um, Kentucky and Missouri played last week. We got a good SEC matchup, but this is this is the first one. First one since the pandemic uh, that we've gotten, you know, traditional SEC powers, the – the massive stadium, the 3.30 CBS kickoff. I think uh, – I know SEC country is ready for it. I know Florida's ready for it. I know Alabama's ready for it. But uh, I think the country's going to have eyes on this one too because this is the first big SEC matchup uh, that we've had since, uh, you know, 2019. Yes. Um, thank you first for having me on Gators Breakdown, the premier podcast for the Florida Gator Nation. Yeah, this is, this is a huge game. This is big boy football. You know, traditionally when these two teams match up, uh, it's in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And, hey, we did that last December. And, hey, what do you say? We both did a repeat of that in early December. But uh, this is a very, very big Florida fans have had this circled on the calendar for a couple of years, knowing that Alabama will be returning to the swamp uh, for the first time since 2011. And I think that's a criminal shame. Uh, something moving forward with expansion. We, we've got to get more SEC games. We've got to get people rotating more out. You know, Alabama doesn't – Gainesville just every 10 years. That's a shame. But it is a huge game. Uh, it's a huge game in the Alabama nation. Uh, Alabama fans are a little easy about this one. We've played two games. Uh, you introduced us as being the number one team in the country. I know that's where we're ranked. I don't know that I would agree with that after our first two games. So this is a very, very big game Saturday. Alabama fans are looking at this game, my friend, and saying, we will know uh, early Saturday evening what kind of a team we have after playing Florida Saturday. Yeah, Dan Mullins called it a measuring stick for the Gators at this point in the season as well. So we'll know a whole lot more about about the Gators. So both of these teams will know a whole lot more uh, when the when the when the clock hits zero uh, in this big matchup, of course. So before we get started, everybody, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform, YouTube version as well. If you're watching that YouTube version, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. All right, Kevin, let's get right into it. So, first of all, let's let's go back a little bit. I did have you on SEC Championship game, as you said. Hopefully, we get to preview another SEC Championship game between Florida and Alabama uh, in, in December. But let our listeners and remind our listeners know your kind of connection to uh, Nick Saban and the Alabama program. Uh, you know, because – uh, much like when I started here, you know, not really a big media affiliation. You are on Bill King's show like I am every Tuesday, but you know Alabama football. You know Nick Saban. Yeah, I've got a connection inside the program. Um, I'm not in the industry, and uh, which is uh, kind of unique, but I think also makes me objective. I've had the opportunity to uh, do some help on the inside of the program. Well, probably one of the coolest things I've gotten is I'm one of uh, Nick Saban's designated drivers. So in certain places when he flies in to visit a recruit, I'm one of the people entrusted to drive code saving either the high school to the recruits home or whatever. Uh, so I've got an opportunity to uh, be that instance and some other, some behind the scenes things that, uh, that your normal media people don't get to do. Gotten to know coach Saban on a, on a really personal level. Uh, he has a very dry sense of humor like me. Uh, he's a big New York Yankee fan like me. It is about coach Saban. Uh, not only do I think uh, is he the, the premier coach in college football. Nick Saban could be the CEO of any Fortune 500 company in America. Uh, I, I wish people could get to know a little bit about him behind the scenes. He's, he's not the angry, screaming guy that you see on the sidelines all the time. He really cares about his players. And it's been a blessing. This is this 15-year ride is one that Alabama fans hope never will end. We know ultimately it will, but um, I've been lucky. I, for my my uh, Alabama career uh, 44 years ago, watching Coach Bryant, now Coach Saban, arguably the two greatest coaches in college football history. Absolutely there. And uh, 
the greatest to ever do it. Uh, that's that, that's the label I'll put on him. I'm sure everybody else is too. That's not breaking news or anything, but the best to ever do it is uh, one, one Nick Saban there. So, Kevin, all right, let's get into this team a little bit. Um, a different-looking team than when Florida and Alabama matched up in December last year in Atlanta. Inexperienced team in some key positions. So what's been your biggest – Just we'll get into player specifics here a little bit too, but what's kind of just been your general biggest overall takeaway in the two games so far for Alabama? Yeah, uh, we have nine new starters on offense. Uh, to, uh, we, we knew we were going to have a really good defense coming into the season. We thought it would be our best defense since the 2016 defense, and I tend to agree with that. Um, the disappointment for me, and I'm, I must be honest, I've been very disappointed with Alabama in their first two games. Uh, we beat Miami in the first of Gator fans out there, if you have any uh, coworkers that are Miami fans, they tell you the U's back. Tell them to go sit out at their desk and shut up because I can tell you the U's not back. Um, <laughs> Problem have right now, Dave, and it's a real serious problem. Uh, we have probably eight to ten guys on our team. I think all you have to do is pull on and stroll out on the field, and the uniform is going to win the game for you. And that's simply not the case. Most of them are the very young players. But right now, uh, Coach Saban's been very, very frustrated with the lack of consistent leadership from the upper-class players. Uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Now, that, that, I'm not talking about Bryce Young. Bryce is a really strong leader, and he has the total respect of his team. But uh, have a lot of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen that just think that the magic happens, that the trophies just show up in the trophy case because we're Alabama, and that's not the case. And that's one of the dangers going into Saturday. Uh, they played Alabama's been a tale of two halves, both in the Miami game and the Mercer game. Uh, we've been very dominant on both sides of the ball, typically in the first half. And in the second half, we act like the game is over. Uh, we take our foot off the both sides of the ball, particularly on defense, which is very, very frustrating after being so dominant. I know it's hard to get a gauge on Mercer because, you know, Mercer's a, was picked, finished sixth in a nine-team Southern Conference. But, I mean, you can look at individual player attitude. Our offensive line came out last week against Mercer and got stuffed in the first against Mercer, which should never happen. The players readily admit that they just they didn't take Mercer serious. They didn't come to play. It was an ugly week with Coach Saban last week, and we – so a lot of Alabama fans have said, well, Saban's in a bad mood. The players are mad. So that's naturally going to translate into a great performance on Saturday. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily sure. Coach Saban is incredibly frustrated with this team right now. And to be honest with you, Dave, I, like a lot of Alabama fans, have absolutely no idea what Alabama team is going to show up on Saturday. Okay, there. So we'll go with that. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, that's probably the, the, the thing with Florida – on the Florida side too, USF, FAU. We don't really know a whole lot about this Florida team either. So I think as we get going back to that point, we'll learn uh, most about, you know, Alabama got up so big versus Miami. And as you said, the second half probably wasn't as crisp as they wanted it to be, but they could afford to dial it down a little bit. And of course, dial it down versus Mercer as well. I think Florida's dialed it down in some ways too these first couple of weeks. So keep going back to the point. We'll get a real good gauge where these teams are Saturday uh, 3.30 in the swamp. So part of that newness, Kevin, is on the offensive side of the ball, of course, OC replacement. Bill O'Brien comes in replacing Steve Sarkeesian. Bryce Young at quarterback taking over for Mac Jones. What's the what's the newness been there like of the OC quarterback relationship uh, moving forward for the Alabama mm. Crimson Tide? Yeah, love Bill O'Brien. Was thrilled with the hire when we made it. Uh, it, it was also great best friend Doug Marone is the offensive line coach and you know the, the cohesion between offensive coordinator and offensive line coach is so critical that they're just they work so well together and they, um, and they coached against each other and they coached against each other in the NFL for years they did they did I mean even their mates in college their wives are best friends so it's like that had a lot to do with both of them coming to Alabama the chance to work together again uh, they've been great Alabama fans have really embraced both of them a little bit different than Steve Sarkeesian uh, Bill O'Brien's more uh, – it's a balanced offense, but it leads Bill O'Brien, which Nick Saban likes. Bill O'Brien would like to take the air out of the ball some uh, and, and, you know, protect our defense. Last year we had such an explosive offense, and there were times that, you know, our defense was right back on the field. Sarkeesian was more of a pick one or two players and feed them type of a – Bill O'Brien's been a spread, spread the wealth around. Uh, I know in the Miami game we had ten different people catch passes. Uh, and against Mercer, I think it was eight players. So he's more of a he's more of a spread the wealth type of a thing around. Uh, Doug Marone's inherited uh, two new starters on the uh, offensive line, and that 
that's kind of been an area of, I'll say somewhat concern. We've moved Chris Owens, our right tackle. Uh, we moved him to right tackle from center during Dow course main center right now. And I'll be real honest with you. Um, I'm looking forward to when true freshman JC Latham, who the coach drool over is ready to step in and be the right tackle. Because here's the thing. Uh, if Bryce Young were to go down with an injury, Alabama's national championship would end at that point, lock, stock, and barrel. And we kind of hold our breath. We need J.C. Latham to come in and play right, whereas I say Chris Owens gets Bryce Young killed. So that's going to be something to really watch on Saturday. How does our offensive line uh, perform and communicate together? There's a, there's, there's a lot of talent there behind them, but it's just kind of that cohesion. We may see. I mean, I, I, you know, J.C.'s played a little bit in the first two games. I if we saw him a lot in the swamp on Saturday, but at the same time, Chris Owens at that right tackle, that's something for Gator fans to watch. Uh, he can be a liability out there at times for Yeah, I was going to ask you about it. So you read my mind about that right side of the line. And also, you know, uh, you mentioned Dalcourt there at center possibly. I mean, you got a young quarterback, a young center there uh, going into their first big road trip in the swamp. And so where the crowd should, hope, you know, for Gators fans, they make a difference there with a young quarterback and a young center. Uh, what uh, Kevin, but both of those guys have only made their two starts. Of course, Bryce Young, but they're at center as well. His first two starts have come in this uh, Miami Mercer game as well too, right? Absolutely. Dalcourt, we've always heard about how talented he is. He probably has the best footwork of any of our centers. His problem, though, sometimes is maintaining his, his uh, distribution of his power, uh, of his waist. Like, for instance, in the second series against he got bull rushed by the nose guard of Mercer, ended up on his back looking at the sky. That's embarrassing. That should never happen. Um, so uh, the sooner we can get Chris up, the center would make me happy. Bryce Young, uh, very poised, very intelligent quarterback. Uh, he doesn't get rattled. Uh, one of the things that I really, really am, he's uh, – if there's one complaint, sometimes he kind of hangs in the pocket a little longer than you'd like him to. But when he moves, he's throwing the ball on the move as he is in the pocket. And things I really love about Bryce Young is beneficial for us and makes it tough on the post. Here he is. Bryce Young constantly keeps his eye. So as he's moving, he's constantly looking for a receiver to break open. So it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the, on the secondary to hold our receiver long periods of time so just because Bryce gets flushed out it's not a bad thing actually for Bryce that's kind of a good thing he can run the ball he can tuck it and run need him to but he does not have happy feet he's not like some of your young quarterbacks that you know the first time they feel pressure they tuck the ball and run that that's not Bryce Young at all yeah well it's gonna be made of those two guys you know center and quarterback making their first big road start so Kevin thanks for uh, shedding light uh, on that and maybe even extending the quarterback conversation a little bit we'll extend it to the Alabama wide receivers and you know big plays down the field uh, I think I saw the stat and I'll have it in the show too uh, I think what Bryce Young was one for six versus Miami and throwing the ball over 20 yards in the air uh, and one for seven on the season didn't really test it deep uh, versus Mercer so but look we know the abilities there for these Alabama wide receivers not many big plays down the field yet but we know that big play ability is there it is I don't know that we have quite the explosive wide receiver core that Last year, I think we do. I think it's in the true freshmen that are still working their way into the rotation. Uh, our, our top wide receiver uh, coming back for his third year is John Mechie, number eight. Uh, John Mechie's very, very, very uh, – he's a deep threat. He has very reliable hands. But he's not earn you and leave you type of a guy. Uh, that, that speed comes from uh, number one, Jameis Williams, transfer from Ohio State. Jameson's been, uh, been very reliable for us. He did get a stupid uh, – uh, penalty, uh, getting in a scuffle with a Mercer player, which is uncalled for. Um, really watch for us on Saturday. Gator fans will want to circle. It's true freshman number 10, Jojo Earl. Uh, Jojo may not start the game, but he'll be in probably in the second or third play. He's an absolute electric speedster. Anytime he touches the ball at any time on anywhere on the field, whether it's via the pass or they're turning punts for us. Anytime JoJo touches the ball, he can take it from wherever he is, look for uh, him to be an integral part of it. And then uh, a Florida, a true freshman from Florida that uh, Gator fans I know will want to know if they'll see him. AJ Hall had a phenomenal spring for us, uh, number 84. He was the MVP of the spring game. And then he kind of thought because he was the MVP of the spring game that he'd locked up his starting position for the fall. So he spent most of the summer in the August camp kind of getting his feet back on the ground. It looked like he's uh, come back to earth. He played a little bit more against Mercer. He may see some 
Town Hall uh, on Saturday. And then another one to watch is uh, Treshawn Holden, number 11. Treshawn is another favorite target of Bryce Young. But we also have a, have a tight end that you need to keep an eye on on Saturday. And that's number 81, Cameron Lodge. It's a funny story. He's a junior at Alabama. And the whole time Sarkeesian – Sarkeesian didn't know he could catch the football, and he had a great spring, and Bill O'Brien went to Saban and was like, do you know this kid actually has great hands? We, we, it's embarrassing. He had never even had a pass thrown to him. His first two years at Alabama, he was only like a blocking uh, tight end, unfortunately. But we've discovered he has great hands. He's a weapon that Bryce Young particularly likes to look at uh, in the red zone. Kevin, let's move to the backfield a little bit as well. A lot of options at running back for Alabama. No surprise there. Have the first two games given us any indication of who we might see more versus Florida? You know, it's still going to be uh, running back by committee. It is a very deep and a very talented room. Saban's been starting the first two weeks. Brian Robinson, the fifth out of Tuscaloosa Hillcrest uh, High School. Um, I love Brian. Uh, Brian is somewhat sometimes susceptible to fumbling inside the 10 line. The best, the most talented running back we have is number 21, Jason McClellan, the sophomore. He is an absolute superstar. Uh, and the second best one is number, you know, he's from the panhandle of Florida. And it's, it's a, it's a medical miracle that Trey Sanders is playing football again when he had the uh, car accident last year. Uh, we started off with, uh, you know, hoping that he would eventually be able to walk without a limp. He's gone all the way from there to being able to play. Personally, I would like uh, less of Brian Robinson early and more of Jason McClellan and Trey Sanders. And then the, the fourth back is Rodell Williams, number 23. He's a sophomore. He's kind of a small scat back. He, too, though, has had a susceptibility sometimes to put the ball on the ground. So that's something for Gator fans to watch. Yeah, Florida's going to probably need some turnovers uh, to, 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 you know, have a chance at the upset here uh, for Alabama and also have to have some success on the other side of the ball when you look at this Alabama defense, as you said, Kevin, coming into the season. Look, go, going back to last season, had to kind of, you know, bide their time, take their time before they came together. Probably one of, if not one of, if not the best defense at the you know end of the season last year. So we move to the other side of the ball. And look, we won't bury the lead here. A couple of injuries at the second level at the linebacker position. Can you give us an update on Will Anderson, who's, who was injured last week versus Mercer? Also dating back a little bit, Christopher Allen, who dates back to that Miami game out for the season. Uh, if Anderson is out or limited, how much does that hurt the Alabama defense? Who has to step up? I mean, look, you still – Christian Harris still there, best linebacker in the country. And perhaps a transfer from Tennessee gets even more time. Yeah, uh, the good news on Will Anderson, and we all held our breath uh, post game. It seemed really ominous after, uh, but Coach Saban has given us an update and says that Will, uh, it's a hyperextension of his right knee in the first series of the second half against Mercer. Uh, he uh, was originally listed that he was going to be a, a game time uh, decision. Uh, he's now been upgraded to day to day. Excuse me, he's originally questionable, and then it went to day to day. Now he's, now he's, uh, he, do some light workout today. I will be very, very surprised if we don't see Will Anderson play on Friday. I completely do not expect him to be 100%, obviously. And I don't know how much we'll see of Will Anderson, but I think he will definitely be out there. Um, you know, he is our superstar. He's the fastest player on the team from zero to 10 yards. Uh, he puts the pressure on him. You mentioned the fact that we lost Christopher Allen. We'll play on the Jack. We lost our Sam Christopher Allen, which is really unfortunate. Another fifth-year senior out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, but the blessing is why I hate it for the young man that his season is over with a broken foot that required surgery. We are really, really deep at the Sam position. So you're going to see a, a true sophomore, number 20, Drew Sanders, uh, play that Sam position. He is an absolute freak athlete. Um not a drop-off at all from Chris Allen. And also, a uh, true freshman, Dallas Turner, will also be in the rotation at the same position. You mentioned the fact that we have Christian Harris, uh, also out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You can see how much uh, YLSU fans love us uh, at the Will position. And then the transfer from Tennessee, Henry To'o, uh, at the Mike position, who came in. They were in the same defense at Tennessee, so he came right in knowing our defensive play. But this is the strongest linebacker core that Alabama has had clearly since the 2016 position. It's an extreme fast defense. And one of the things, you know, uh, we've, been, we've been talking to Alabama for a couple of weeks. The coaches prepared for the heat of Gainesville. Now it sounds like there's a good chance. To but that's one of the blessings of this is not only a very, very talented Alabama defense, but it's a much deeper Alabama defense than we've had. 
last three or four years. So both on the defensive line and the secondary and that linebacker, we have the ability this year to roll and not drop off in terms of the talent. A couple more thoughts here from Kevin Hagan as we get a good preview here of this Alabama Crimson Tide team for the head of the game on Saturday versus Florida. Kevin, let's move up front a little bit. Anchored by Phil Mathis, DJ Dell. Uh, they'll look to keep the Gators' ground attack in check. Much different Gators' offense attack than <laughs> compared to last year. So probably even more on this defensive line for Alabama. Uh, look, they'll be they'll be counting on more to keep Florida from getting that uh, getting to the second level to those linebackers. You know, some of those linebackers who haven't played a lot. It's going to be up to this defensive line to to hold to help hold this Florida Gator run game in check. Yeah, absolutely. What it's for what number two rushing team in the country right now, you know, Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. We're going to have our, we're going to have our hands full. Uh, you mentioned Federian Mathis. He's a number another fifth year senior taking advantage of the, he, he's just had a phenomenal year so far. Uh, one of my favorite players on the team, DJ Dale is uh, the nose guard right now. You know, Tim Smith, uh, a player that uh, Florida fans are yep. very familiar with, you know, it came down to Alabama and Florida. Uh, we're still waiting for Tim to take a step forward. Uh, he, he flashed for a couple of days and then the next day in practice he kind of takes it off a little bit so uh we're still waiting for tim smith to reach his full potential you'll certainly see him in there on the saturday but that's the reason he's not the starting nose guard as you might think that he might be uh lebrian uh aaron young number 47 and jamarin matham latham uh, will also be a big part of that defensive line this defensive line uh we don't have the quote quote superstar in that group right now. We think some of our true freshmen that aren't ready to play yet will be. It's more of a of excellence by committee, if you will. And you know, none of them are the going to be a first round draft. You know, the number one draft pick in the whole NFL draft. But as a collective group, they're extremely talented. And as I said, we can roll. We can easily roll six, seven deep in the defensive line and not. Re- a significant drop off, and they're you know they're going to have their hands full because both of your quarterbacks have different talents, and they're going to give different threats for Alabama. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it's going to be really really important that Alabama control both of the lines of scrimmage on Saturday if we plan to get out of Gainesville with a win. Kevin, let's move back to the secondary a little bit. Of course, Gator fans, Alabama fans will remember for Florida last year, you had Kadarius Tony, you had Kyle Pitts making plays in the SEC championship game versus a very good Alabama defense, a very good Alabama secondary. DB unit had a little bit of a slow start last year. They settled in, played well, you know, pretty much except for the Florida game uh, the, th- throughout the season. Josh Job, Jalen Armour Davis, they didn't play last week. That looks precautionary. Looks like they'll be good to go versus Florida this week. Uh, is this a group that's been able to kind of pick up where they left off last season, even with the departure of Sertain back there? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, no one was happy. And I'm not a Falcons fan, but no one was happier to see Kyle Pitt you know, move <laughs> on to the NFL than me. Uh, you talk about scary, scary, scary. Um, yeah, it's a very talented and deep secondary for Alabama. As you mentioned, Josh, cornerbacks, Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis both set out the Mercer game. Coach Saban said if it had been the fourth game, they would have played just kind of ding. But it, it gave Marcus played McKinstry, who laid the true freshman phenom, uh, a chance to start. And they both it really smacked like they both had interceptions on Saturday. Um, secondary, uh, the safeties, DeMarco Hellams, he missed the Miami game with a rolled ankle. Uh, he's kind of the quarterback of the secondary. Uh, Jordan is another strong veteran back there. The play, the player that Florida players need to watch is number three, Daniel Wright. Whenever Daniel Wright comes on the field, one of two things are going to happen. He's either going to get burned by the wide receiver or he's going because he's completely out of position and has absolutely no clue where he's supposed to be on the field, or he's going to just grab the receiver as he runs by him and get the pass interference call. Daniel Wright is our our secondary liability. So anytime you look out there on the field, Gator fans, and see number three, that's a matchup to watch. I hold my breath when he's out there. Yeah, we got the kind of that same feeling at the second cornerback spot for Florida too. So that's uh, that's whether it be Avery Helm or true freshman Jason Marshall, we're kind of looking at that same scenario right now uh, for, for the Gators defensive back there opposite Kyrie Elam. So, uh, Kevin, before this is kind of going away from Florida, Alabama, just for a quick second, because I know you got some insight here just a little bit too. What's going on at LSU, man? Uh, we saw what happened last year, and you know they they rallied to beat Florida, to beat Ole Miss at the end of uh, of 2020. So gave some inclination of maybe a positive uh, trend there for LSU. They made some coaching changes, but then come out and then UCLA puts it to them. Not a very good performance last week either. Um, what's what's going on there in your mind? Well, 
Dave, I'm blown away. All summer, I've been telling people that I thought LSU would have a bad season. Uh, that all the talent that they have, not that I necessarily thought Ed Ogeron is the greatest of coaches, but I thought pride alone that LSU would end up being the biggest threat for Alabama in the West, although I'm quite concerned about Ole Miss. I think they're a serious, uh, a serious threat there in a couple. It's obvious that Ed, in my personal opinion, has lost total control of that team in that locker room. I mean, they should have not lost to UCLA. Of course, it didn't help when you taunt the UCLA fan before you go in there and get your butt kicked. <laughs> um, and they, you know, McNeese State, I, at this point, I, I don't know what to expect unless you moving forward. I do know this. They're, you know, they're not going to be patient with him. It's not like he has a, 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 you know, an endless uh, leash here. Uh, it's performed now or never for LSU. I could, Dave, I could, at this point, sadly, I could see LSU losing three or four football games before this year is over, which would very obviously get him canned. Uh, it's kind of like Arkansas played last Saturday, like what I expect LSU to do. Mm. I, and it's going to – look, we, we are in on so many players with LSU right now uh, in recruiting. Uh, Alabama fans are fine. We would love nothing better than to have LSU season fall apart to help us in the recruiting department. But, uh, yeah, egg all over my face. LSU, I thought, would, would come in and look strong this year, and they've looked anything but. All right, Kevin, man, that will do it. Thank you so much for giving this great Alabama preview here. Uh, you know, I th- I, we'll see what, what, what transpires on Saturday there. But there, once again, you know, SEC championship game last year probably shouldn't be an indication of, what, of, of who we expect to play and, and, and who makes the big plays in this game, of course, because most of those guys aren't even here. You know, you had guys that were, what, five players combined, three for Alabama, two for Florida, that were top ten in the Heisman ballot last year. And now, you know, look different when uh, Alabama comes. So it's not in Atlanta. The game's in Gainesville, as we said. You know, the first big road game, first big road test for a lot of these Alabama young players. Uh, it might be something to behold when we get a, one of these uh, classic Alabama-Florida uh, matchups. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's going to be jacked up. The swamp's going to be rocking. Uh, Alabama better bring their A game. They better come to play, and they better come for 60 minutes or Alabama will get beat on Saturday. And I'm just going to close with a statement that we can all agree with. Beat. Say that one more time, Kevin. Beat Georgia. <laughs> there we go. Got to get got to get that out there. We can't hear that too many times there. So, uh, look, we'll, we'll try and do our part, uh, you know, Halloween weekend. But if uh, we can't do it uh, and you guys end up meeting in Atlanta – I don't know too many Gator fans that don't cheer for Alabama in that situation because, uh, you know, that's just that's just how it is. You know, so some people might be tired of Alabama dynasty, but when it comes to Alabama and Georgia in Atlanta, if they meet up or, you know, in regular season, but as we said, we don't get the regular season matchups all too much between East-West teams. I know a majority of Gator Nation cheers for Alabama over Georgia. So, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I know you and I have thought behind the scenes. We know our disdain and our dislike for Georgia. So uh, Gator, Gator Nation will, will be proud of that beat Georgia comment. I would appreciate it if you'd beat my Gator Trump to the whole Georgia game. The other team I can't stand, which is ironic because I live here, promise me you have to come up here and beat Kentucky. That's the other team I just cannot stand. So that's, <laughs> that's two must-wins for Gator Nation uh, coming from Kevin Hagan, okay? There we go. There we, go. we we will do our best. And look, we win those two games. We probably will see Florida and Alabama again in the first week of December. So, Kevin, man, thank you, thank you so much for this great preview. And uh, you know, good luck to Saturday. Hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy the game. Thank you, sir. All right, Kevin Hagan there giving us a great preview of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Good stuff there from Kevin. I mean, I detail the detail there for Alabama uh, in, in great detail from him uh, about Alabama looking forward to this big matchup there uh, he raised some questions for this Alabama team and we'll get into it the preview here uh, as well you know there are some this early in the season some uh, you know kinks in the armor we'll see uh, we'll see we'll see what it means we'll see what it means uh, for for, for, the, for the skater team see if they can take advantage of, uh, of any of those perceived weaknesses for this Alabama Crimson Tide team Football season is also tailgating season, and there's nothing better for a tailgate than Four Rivers Smokehouse, named the number one barbecue in the South by Southern Living Magazine. Four Rivers Smokehouse is a family-owned barbecue restaurant specializing in 18-hour smoked English brisket. I got to have some brisket. I got to have the ribs, too. Both. Just give me both. Also, you get the home-style size and fresh-baked desserts at any Four Rivers Smokehouse's 13 Florida locations. 
Four Rivers party packages come tailgate ready so you can spend more time watching the game and tailgating. You can uh, you don't have to worry about cooking. Call Four Rivers, spend more time watching the games and tailgating, and not the grill. Enjoy the gridiron pack for four for $54.99 or the party for 12 package for $109. Each package includes Four Rivers award-winning barbecue meats, home-style sides, buns, and signature barbecue sauces. Now through September 30th, take $5 off on orders of $25 or more when ordering in-store or by phone when you mention Gators Breakdown. That's $5 off on orders of $25 or more when ordering in-store or by phone when you mention Gators Breakdown. So Gators, whether you're in Gainesville this week for the big game, swing by Four Rivers. Four Rivers Gainesville located in Butler Plaza. If you're tailgating at home in Gainesville or Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, Tallahassee areas, you can also enjoy the best barbecue anywhere in Florida at Four River Smokehouse. Guys, do me a favor. If you order Four River Smokehouse, if you get it, if you get it for your tailgate, if you get it for your home tailgate, take a picture. Share it with, share it with us on social media. Tag me. Tag Four Rivers. We'd love to see you enjoying Four River Smokehouse for this big game versus Alabama this week. All right, here we go. Get into Alabama a little bit more, Florida a little bit more for this big matchup. Alabama's 52-46 to win over Florida last year in the SEC championship game was the Crimson Tide's 31st consecutive victory over the SEC East. Ooh, that dates back to a 35-21 loss to then number 19 Steve Spurrier-led South Carolina Gamecocks all the way back in 2010. Alabama has not lost to an SEC team in a decade. Woo. Can we be the first ones to do it? Can, can, can Florida reverse the trend? We've played Alabama a few times in that, in, in that stretch. No luck so far. But nobody in the East has either. <laughs> so Alabama current FBS leader for scoring at least 30 points in consecutive games with 28 falling to Tide's 48-14 win over Mercer in the home opener last week. Man, 30 points in consecutive games. In 28 consecutive games. 28 game streak is the second longest in major college football history. With only UCF having a longer run of 31 games, 2017 or 2019. Included in Alabama's 28 straight games of 30 or more points is a streak of nine straight road games with 38 plus points scored. The last one being last season's 52 point game against Arkansas at Arkansas last year, December 12, 2020. So even on the road, Included in that 28-game streak, 28 game streak of 30 or more points, nine straight road games for Alabama where they've scored at least 38 points. Ooh, hopefully that changes. <laughs> hopefully that changes on Saturday. Getting to players a little bit here for Alabama. Bryce Young's the only player in Alabama in history with seven touchdown passes in his first two starts, completing four touchdown passes against Miami a couple weeks ago, three touchdown passes against Mercer last week. Four touchdown passes against Miami was the most touchdown passes by any Alabama quarterback in their debut as a starter. He passed Mac Jones and Joe Namath. You heard Kevin say, but Bama running back Jace McClellan recorded a single game career best three touchdown games last week. Three touchdown game last week versus Mercer. Three touchdowns for McClellan last week. And they scored in different ways each time. Rushing, receiving, punt return touchdown for McClellan there. So kind of the utility player to watch out for Alabama watch out for from Alabama. Big difference, guys, from defense for Alabama. And we've seen it year after year after year after year. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Alabama has forced at least one turnover one turnover in 80 of the last 87 games, dating back to the start of the 2015 season. During that run, Alabama has forced 147 turnovers. 95 interceptions, 52 fumbles, and returned 29 of those for touchdowns. How's that translate so far this year for Alabama? They ranked 10th nationally and first in the SEC in turnovers gained with five, and they rank eighth in turnover margin at plus two. Man, got to hang on to the ball. Got to protect the ball. So what am I looking for? And when they most likely win – the path of a win for Florida game plan going back to the Miami game. No disrespect to Mercer, but you know, I don't know how much we can glean from that game. We can't glean too much from Florida for USF FAU, you know, probably, probably apply that to Bama and Mercer as well. 
I'm mainly looking at the Alabama game, going back and looking at the Miami game when trying to determine something from this Alabama team. Fast start. And, look, we all remember the, the difference of the – and I'm talking about a fast start on defense mostly. I all remember the crowd difference, LSU in 18, Auburn in 2019. Fast start by the defense, keeps the crowd in this one. You know, I don't think we'll see the shootout we saw last year between these two teams in Atlanta. Um, that's just kind of – look, that's probably common sense here. <laughs> um, I think it's more likely to get there if Richardson plays and plays a lot. Uh, it will kind of look like a different style of shootout probably. But if we see him limited or we see him not take as many snaps pretty much like the last couple of weeks, then I, I don't think Emory Jones can win in a shootout by himself. So that's why I don't think we'll see a shootout unless Richardson's back there. Uh, we'll get into that. But the defense has to get out to a better start than they did last season versus Alabama, last season versus Georgia, those big games. This is the big game. Get off to a better start on defense. And, and make it look like those earlier games I mentioned, Alabama or the LSU and the Auburn games, turn it into a defensive slugfest. Let the crowd give you that crazy fourth quarter versus a young quarterback. Keep the game close. And maybe somewhere along the way, the crowd affects communication. I mean, just a scenario here. Crowd affects the communication with the Alabama offensive line that's still piecing together, still piecing, piecing things together. Um, uh, pair that with a young quarterback behind them. Maybe a big turnover comes from it. Give it a close game. Put the pressure on Bryce Young in a hostile environment. But in order to keep the fans engaged, to get to that point, a late-game scenario where the pressure's on Alabama to win that game, you got to get out to a fast start. You can't get down early. Keep the fans engaged. Show up early on defense. Not let the game get out of hand. I know it's cliche, but the home crowd can really be that 12th man for that defense if you just give them something to cheer about. Look, that's on the offense too, of course. You know, if Alabama goes scores, you got to score. But I don't see that the I don't see Florida's offense get into a likely shootout and winning. It's going to have to be some kind of slugfest, at least for portions of the game, at least early in the game to keep the fans engaged. So how does that happen? How can Florida get off to a good start tackling? And I know it's a basic, but I'm going to show you some stuff here, or you know, tell you some stuff here. Look, it's been much better to start this season compared to previous seasons. Not perfect by any means, but some of the ang angles taken have played into that too. Uh, but if Miami did one good thing versus Alabama, they crowded the line of scrimmage, they got aggressive, they got into the backfield, but they couldn't kind of finish the deal. They couldn't bring down the Alabama running backs in the backfield often. Tied running backs averaged under a yard before contact versus Miami. Under a yard. Miami's defensive front was getting in the backfield. But Alabama was able to break those tackles and average three and a half yards after contact. So if Florida does the same thing, crowds the line of scrimmage, and Bama decides to run into the into it anyway, make them pay for it. You know, make make a play by making the tackle in the backfield, not giving up yards after contact. Second and eleven, second and ten, second and twelve is much better than giving up look three and a half yards after contact. That gives you second and six, pretty much. So you know, make the if you can replicate what Miami did. As you get in the backfield, make the tackle. Uh, it's a huge game for this defensive line, you know, to, to, to help control the game, help the linebackers. We haven't seen these linebackers really step up, step up consistently for the Gators so far. Now you're without Ventrell Miller. You're going to be looking for Hopper, Diabate, Moon to step up, but it's going to be on this defensive line to help those guys out. And, you know, that's what we preview with these transfers coming in and the growth of Gervin Dexter and, you know, clean, help clean up for those linebackers a little bit too. So the offensive line can't get to them. Um, and let those guys come up and make tackles. Uh, so it's so going to be dependent on the, if the defensive line plays well, makes the tackle himself in the backfield, or cleans it up for the linebackers to come in and make the tackle. If you can replicate some of what Miami did, get them in the backfield, go make the tackle, make the play. And this extends to the secondary as well. Tackle, tackle, tackle. Young, so far, distributor so far, relying on the Alabama wide receivers to create yards after the catch. So here we go, some more stats. Bama run after the catch is what to watch at the Miami game is any indication as well. Bryce Young, 1-7 on deep throws. That's throws past 20 yards on the season. He was 1-6 versus Miami. So many of the yards for Alabama have come yards after the catch. Versus Miami, 66% of the receiving yards came after the catch for Alabama. 66%. And look, that, that's part of their game. Don't get me wrong. Young distributes to the wide receivers, and that's part of their game. The wide receivers make plays, but... That means you got to tackle. 66% of the yards came after the catch. And that was good for 8.4 yards after the catch for Alabama. 66% of the receiving yards 
because of 8.4 yards after the catch. For comparison, Florida, their first two game average, 43% of their receiving yards come after the catch, good for 5.4 yards after the catch. Bama wide receivers, they can get open. Bryce Young hasn't been quite as accurate as we've seen past Bama quarterbacks so far, but we know the potential's there. Florida has to cover when Bama takes their shots. They won't hit as consistently as in the past, but the potential's there, especially at that second cornerback spot, but basics, basic, basic, basics. Line up, mix coverage, get pressure. Uh, you don't want to fall into the trap of uh, afraid of the big play and play too much soft coverage. Florida's going to have to get aggressive. Miami shows it can be done. You can get aggressive, have some success. You got to make the plays. You got to tackle. If, if, if the defensive pressure has been is there like it kind of has been a couple weeks and Young is getting the ball out fast, Alabama's going to try and scheme that up and rely on their receivers to get yards after the catch, much like they did versus Miami. So it's going to be dependent on a lot of these guys going out there and tackling. You can't have linebackers going from the middle of the field and trying to chase down Bama wide receivers or running backs toward the outside. Metal personnel is, is going to need to be on the field, too, so those horrible angles don't happen. So the linebackers aren't chasing down raw receivers, chasing down running backs to try and go make a play um, when you're at a position pretty much to start with. So got just basics for right now. Uh, line up better and then play aggressive, make the tackle. Uh, might be a few missed reads here or there um, for, you know, Bryce Young. He's not adding anything to the run game, but, you know, considering he's a young player uh, being thrown into – oh, look, it's going to be pressure. Pressure in Gainesville with the crowd, with this Gator defense. He's still completing 71% of his passes for 571 yards, seven touchdowns, no picks so far. So there's Bryce Young there. Kind of what to look out for him. If they go conservative and pass the ball short, make the tackle. Make the tackle for this Gator defense. Uh, and also, you know, stay disciplined a little bit. Uh, going back to that Miami game, thanks to SEC StatCat for a lot of these stats, and this one too, 26% screen RPO rate. 26% of their plays through Bryce Young was 26% screen RPO against Miami. So a big part of the offense there. Stay disciplined, make your tackle. All right, offense. Let's move to that for the Gator offense. We'll see the status of Anthony Richardson. A lot of that comes into play uh, for how I think about this game. But run the ball to slow the game down. Keep the keep the quarterbacks comfortable. Uh, and I extend this to the quarterback run game. It is time for Emory Jones to get more involved in the run game too. Maybe that helps him play a little more comfortable. Takes that pressure off of him. Basic game plan the first couple weeks. I think a game plan built around the run game, built around the quarterback run game, will help settle Emory Jones down. And if the run back run game is working, it'll help Anthony Richardson too, especially if he's limited. Uh, you won't ask him to have to do so much. Uh, now, if he's not limited, you throw his explosiveness into the mix as well. And I think the game plan, possibly even more run focused, if Anthony Richardson's up there able to play in that regard, sets up for more explosive, sets up for some play action. Uh, but I also think to get Emory Jones more comfortable, offensive line, running backs are going to have to show up, but also his legs will have to show up and make him more comfortable back there. Uh, so I w also want to read something, guys. I'll, I'll go back to Athlon, and we, you know, there's anonymous coaching, um, anonymous coaching, you know, scouts, scouting from anonymous coaches. Uh, I'm going to read you what they said about this Alabama defense, too. It's still early enough in the season where I think a lot of this stuff still holds some weight here. But this is coming from a coach in the SEC anonymously here. The way to give them trouble, at least last year, was to make them think a lot. Formations to the boundary, then motions, maybe trading off the tight end, making them account for matchups in real time, and get them out of tendencies. Try to create gaps. When you've seen Alabama struggle in recent years, it's been because you're making, making really talented players outthink their assignments. It's really the only way to beat them. There we go. Can Dan Mullen scheme up a way? Take those remarks. Alabama dealing with injuries at linebacker. Can Mullen do something similar to last season for what he did versus Georgia last year, where they were able to expose Georgia's defense? Georgia's defense was dealing with some injuries. Mullen exposed uh, whoever they were putting out on the field uh, in, in a reserve role, helping, helping trying to make up for missing some of their starters. Mullen abused them uh, and, and over and over again, especially in that first half uh, of that game. So there's you know, something Bama may have had trouble with anyway. And now throw injuries into the mix, there might be a path. You come up with a game plan. 
uh, there. You know, with those remarks, do we see more option game to confuse the Bama defense, more misdirection, pre-snap motion to expose some of those matchups? I believe the game plan will, will be there in the run game. Uh, you know, will the offensive line step up, execute the game plan? Florida's going to have to run the ball to have a chance. It's going to be tough versus this Bama front, even if they're injured at, at linebacker a little bit. But there you go. There was you know, some anonymous coaches there, a way to attack this Alabama defense. you got to think Mullen can see that as well um, and being able to come up with some uh, formations, some motions, and maybe H-back motions, uh, getting the tight ends, H-backs more involved. Uh, you got got to think. You can uh, – Mullen can come up with something there in that regard. Move the pocket in the passing game to try and relieve some of the pressure from the pass rush. You know, that seems to help Emory there, dating back to last week versus USF. You know, give Bama a moving target so they can't tee off in the pass rush. Um, when you look at maybe where Emory Jones could be more comfortable in the passing game uh, if you know, AR is not able to go in his explosiveness and maybe limit, give easy, uh, easier reads for Emory Jones uh, moving out of the pocket and moving the pocket. Um, last thing. It's a big game. Come on, rise to the occasion. Uh, I mentioned the 18 LSU game, the 19 Auburn game. Florida rose to the occasion. You know, those were more 50-50 games, of course, than this one is. But the home crowd, the team stepped up, rose to the occasion. This is a big game. Big game for Dan Mullen. Now, program defining, if you win, it can be, I think. If you lose, the season's not over. But rise to the occasion. Go out there and get a big win. Make an announcement. And a lot of people question where Florida is as a program right now in year four under Dan Mullen. Well, you know, rise to the occasion. Uh, make help make that decision for him. Uh, help 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 answer that question for a lot of people out there. Uh, and rise to the occasion. I think Gator Nation will be ready. Uh, yeah, I, look, I think the team would be ready too. Just how good is Alabama? You know, if Alabama's a monster and you know a lot of what we have seen them to be, then it may not matter how good Florida plays. I mean, Alabama's the best team and best program in the country for a reason. But can you can you make them play bad? That's what it's going to come down to. Um, it, that's what you're going to have to fall back on. You can't rely on Alabama just having an off day. You know, rain may play a factor as well or something like that. You can't really account for that too much. That's just a guessing game on how it's going to affect Florida. I guess a game on how it's going to affect Alabama. But your best path is what can you do? to affect this team. And maybe Alabama's a little more questionable up front on the offensive line uh, than even more so than what we've seen these first couple of weeks. Maybe Florida can take advantage in the passing game, but Florida's going to have to dictate something in this game. And maybe, maybe Florida's run game just takes over. We've seen improvement in, in, in that regard. Maybe the Florida run game just comes out there and takes over. But like I said, rise to the occasion. I'll be, I, I'll be the fan. I'll be the fan this week. I'll be the fan Saturday, but, 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 uh, but the, Take the fan hat off a little bit. Put on the quote-unquote analyst hat to host the Gators breakdown hat. Difference for me, Bama, I still think, has a lot of big playability. You know, Until I see Emory Jones not turn the ball over on just some simple reads, I, I, I can't pick Florida to win this game. Richardson's the X factor for me. I, I see a close one-score, 10-point game, dogfight win for Bama. If we get anything close to the AR we've seen the last couple weeks, if not, I see Bama in control of the game pretty much the entire time. I don't think they run away with it either way, but I don't think Florida ever really makes Bama that nervous if Anthony Richardson is not a huge factor. Given that, my podcast, I'll do it. I, I'll do two scenarios here. <laughs> 38-20 Bama if we get a limited or no Richardson if he's not what we have seen the last couple of weeks. But if we get a capable, capable Anthony Richardson – I still got Bama 40 to 30. Uh, I think it turns can turn into more of a shootout in that regard. Uh, I just think Bama has the better defense, further along on offense, can hit the big play. That'll be the difference. Uh, and they'll be able to respond. I think Florida will push them. You know, as I said, I don't think they run away with it. There might be a time where you kind of feel maybe the momentum swings, Florida scores, and Bama just will respond right away. Um, kind of maybe just popped in my head, maybe like Ohio State a couple weeks ago versus Minnesota. Um, when you know, when just felt maybe like the momentum was changing, boom, 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 the better team scores again, and that's probably how I see this one playing out there. So I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. I don't want to be right when I pick Florida to lose. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I'll take all the laughs. I'll take all the shout-outs about how wrong I am. I will take them gladly. Uh, 
keep sending them to me if if Florida wins. There's I will love nothing better than to be wrong, and I will I love nothing better than getting called out for picking Florida to lose, and then upsetting the number one team in the country there and get the first SEC East win over Alabama since 2010. So there we go. That's how I see the game playing out, guys. I think, like I said, I, I think there will be plenty to cheer for. I think uh, that we'll be in the game close enough, uh, especially, you know, if AR plays even closer. Uh, maybe some fireworks still, as I said. You know, if, if we get a 40-30 game there, I, you know, no moral victories, of course, but uh, you can feel a little better maybe about where Florida is. All right, let's take a look around the SEC before we sign off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, not a big, big week in the SEC. New Mexico, Texas A&M gets it kicked off at noon on the SEC Network. Kentucky hosting Chattanooga. Kentucky coming off the big win versus Missouri last week. Missouri does play Southeast Missouri State. That's also a noon game. One more noon game, Tennessee Tech at Tennessee. So four noon games there uh, for, the, for, for, for uh, the SEC this week because they're still playing a whole lot of non-conference opponents. Then the big headliner, 3.30, CBS, Alabama visits Florida. Then at 4 o'clock, Georgia Southern travels to Arkansas. Bobby, a game, you know, a tricky game for Arkansas not to overlook Georgia Southern after a big win over Texas last week. So uh, that game is on SEC Network at 4 o'clock. Mississippi State visits Memphis on ESPN2 at 4. Then we move to the night game. South Carolina visits Georgia. Georgia, huge favorites there. Still some kind of question of maybe what they're going to do at quarterback uh, there. Can they rest JT Daniels another week? Does he play? Does he not play? Sets have been and get another start. Um, so we'll see uh, what Georgia does there. But huge, huge favorites there for Georgia over South Carolina. That game's on ESPN. And then where game day is going to be this week, a 7.30 kickoff between Auburn and Penn State on ABC. Also at 7.30, Central Michigan visits LSU. You heard us talk about LSU. Uh, what does LSU bring to the table after a couple of disappointing weeks? 8 p.m., Tulane visits Ole Miss on ESPN2. And to cap it off as well, Stanford and Vanderbilt on ESPNU, the Nerd Bowl. There's a lot of people want to call that one. So I'll uh, uh, see if Vanderbilt can get their second win in a row. But Stanford coming off the upset of USC, getting Clay Hilton fired this past week. All right, that'll do it. Big preview there for the big game this week. Like I said, once again, I hope I am wrong. I want to be wrong. I'll be cheering as much as I can during the day on Saturday uh, as we tailgate. Can't cheer in the uh, press box, of course, but uh, everybody knows I'm a fan, but can't can't, can't cheer up there uh, a little bit. But, you know, secretly inside, of course. Uh, but, you know, definitely want to be wrong. Definitely want to go see far and get out of, the, get out of Gainesville with a victory. Uh, this coming up week versus Alabama. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.